So, so you broke out of a cult. Uh, yeah. Not only you know fiat currency and democracy. It was something else too. Uh, so, so what was it? Bitcoin is the only thing that is built outside of the system and intends to not be inside of the system ever. And that's the point. It's meant to replace it, not improve it or fix it because you can't fix fiat. You can't fix a Ponzi. So, so the free market, if it was not uh, handicapped in the way it is by fiat money, it could function much better and feed every, absolutely everyone on the planet easily. You get rid of fiat, you put sound money back in place, artisanship becomes viable again. And we see the world return to these marvels of architectural design that they were in the past that we look at and admire. And we wonder, why is everything so cheaply built today? Fiat's why. Luke. I'm going to be very surprised if this isn't the satanic Bible. Before we dive into the show, we'd just like to mention a couple of our show's sponsors, things that we care about and that we think are useful to Bitcoiners all over. So first up is the Orange Pill app. Download the Orange Pill app today from the orangepillapp.com. Yeah, Orange Pill app. Woo-hoo! Rocket ship, get on board. It's available for iOS and Android. Stack friends and meet like-minded people near you. Connect with your favorite Bitcoiners and speed up hyper-Bitcoinization. We're really excited about the Orange Pill app and its potential to connect Bitcoiners in their local area. Download the Orange Pill app. It's not a dating app, but you can use it for dating. Download now. Next up is Wasabi Wallet. It's a great desktop wallet that has privacy by default and CoinJoin built in. It recycles your UTXOs around so that no one knows who you are after it's done the process. Check out wasabiwallet.io. Make sure that that's the actual link you check out because there are scammers out there who want to steal your Bitcoin. But it works in the background. Tor is built in. And when you send coins to it, the coins you take out are private. So download Wasabi Wallet today. I'm wearing these shades in tribute to Wasabi Wallet because your OPSEC is important. So I'm totally anonymous now, just so you know. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. We're concerned about your freedom footprint and want to help you spread as much freedom dioxide as possible. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudofin, and I'm here as always with Knut Svonholm. Good evening, Knut. Good evening, Luke. You say as always, but I just watched an episode of ours without me in it. <laughs> you made a cameo. You made a cameo. <laughs> oh, I did. I, I managed to crash that party too. You did. And then you know what was interesting about that episode as well is that Cristiano Ronaldo gets a nice mention. So uh, we, we've got to make sure that the Bitcoin standard gets in front of Cristiano Ronaldo. And then he tweets that all out to all of his Instagram followers. Yeah. I imagine him, uh, you know, hearing about that the first time. What, just stumbling over the Freedom Footprint show. Exactly. Let's, that, uh, that would let's be make something. that happen. That would be something. That would be something. But today we've got a great guest that I'm really looking forward to uh, having on here because we, we got to chat a couple of weeks ago now and well, we really hit it off. And I think uh, you're going to really like him as well. He's got an interesting backstory that I'll let him explain. I actually should have asked you how to say your last name. You're Canadian. You should know it's French. Leger. Uh, well, you know, I'm going to uh, call yeah. you. I'm going to call you Ledger. 
<laughs> yeah, most people do. I've been called so many things. It's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. you don't. You don't look like a ledger nano. <laughs> yeah, because you look like more more of a medium to no, large size ledger. I'm six one, so I guess I'm the X. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Leger. That'll work. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. Been looking forward to it. Th this is funny because, like yesterday, we interviewed. One of my best friends in the Bitcoin space, Mr. Mr. Cat, uh, or AKA Hodlanot, AKA some other name that I'm not gonna, <laughs> that I'm not gonna say, whom I've known for years. And you, I know virtually nothing about. I saw like two minutes of a YouTube clip. You're relatively new on the Bitcoin scene, aren't you, Jonathan? Yeah, I've been in hiding for about three years. I first got into Bitcoin in 2020 i've sadly fell into the crypto hole though i never lost like my respect for sound money and bitcoin never hated bitcoin I was never one of those people oh it's all tech whatever but i didn't come back to being now nah, the only thing we should be looking at in this space is bitcoin until last year so yeah i was always anonymous though and I first created an account with my name on it just a few months ago. So yeah, of course, nobody knows anything about me because I've just been in hiding. Okay. What made you change your mind and how can we verify that your name is actually your name? What made me change my mind was an article that was written by Corey Clipson from Swan Bitcoin when he was talking about the need to avoid the war, like how to avoid the war. And actually prior to that, I'd come to this conclusion, but that made me realize I'd made the right decision. That if we're going to stop everything that we are seeing happening over the past three years, then we have to speak out. Like we have to be talking about this. I have to be okay with being public about it and not just sitting in the background and reading what other people have to say and agreeing with it. Like I have to bring what I have to offer to the table. I just think it's fascinating because for, for me, deciding to use my own name was because of a very specific book. I've just read Skin in the Game by Nicholas Nassim Taleb at the time and the importance of having something to lose, in this case, your reputation by throwing yourself out there will lead to you performing better at whatever you try to do because you have something to lose. Having something to lose and taking a risk is crucial to making the best out of yourself or yeah, getting anywhere in life, I guess. So that's why I made that decision and I'm stuck with it. In hindsight, I could have made another decision and uh, like promoted a brand like some of my friends have that are still anonymous, like Hodlin Author, GG or Fractal Encrypt. Uh, I guess they, they take pride in that brand name they've built. But for me, the, a decision was made and I can't say I've regretted it. It's rather the opposite. It, it truly made me better at what I did, I think, because of the fact that I had something to lose. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. Uh, the last three years really taught me that. And I've put out a couple of videos with some friends of mine because we were very active. I was very active in the ex-cult community that I come out of. And I had a YouTube channel for a long time where I talked about it. My wife and I both did. And we both managed to get at least hundreds of people, probably thousands of people out 
of the cult because we got emails from people all the time. And having your face and your name on that is very important because people need to know that they can trust you and what you're saying and that you're a real person, though that has it's a personal decision because there were some people even in that community who they still had family that was in and that cult practices strict shunning where literally your family will have nothing to do with you if they know that you're leaving or you don't believe or anything like that. So some people chose to remain anonymous and try to kind of work from the inside, but that's not a decision we were both willing to make. We wanted to speak out publicly and my wife is actively shunned by her entire family because of it, but it's no way to live anonymously. Either do it and believe it or don't. I can't hide when it's time to speak. If I'm just listening and I'm learning and I don't feel like I have anything to really contribute, it's okay. It was fine for me to remain anonymous, but now it's not okay. Like This is too important. This isn't just some side hobby project to me. This is too important. So I had to just put my name on it and be willing to, to speak about it. Good to hear. I think we have to rewind the tape a bit here. I know you've spoken to to, uh, Luke about this before, but me and uh, probably most of the listeners do not know what kind of a cult you were in. So so you broke out of a cult. uh, Yeah. And that cult was not only, you know, fiat currency and democracy. It was something else too. Uh, so, So what was it? Yeah, we You're both were born, born and raised in the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses, which most people think of as this kooky religion when people come knock on your door or whatever, old people in suits. They have no idea, as a rule, just how sinister the particular brand of religion is. And it grew worse over time. Like I actively studied the history when, after I left it. They practice shaming and shunning. They have a massive child sex abuse problem. They were brought up in the Australian Royal Commission in 2015, over 1,800 known victims that were never reported to the police. And Australia constitutes only 1%, about 1% of Jehovah's Witnesses. So if you extrapolate that out because they have their own internal judicial system, they don't believe in the external systems of government. And so they hide everything inside and they were called out for that in the Australian Royal Commission. And all these victims came forward and talked about how nothing was ever done, never went to the police. So if you extrapolate that number from 1800 and it's only 1%, I mean, it's potentially hundreds of thousands of victims. Yeah. There've been documentaries about this uh, that cover how bad it is. So there are witnesses and Jehovah's Witnesses, but they refuse to witness Basically. Yeah, they won't. They won't. <laughs> they won't witness. Uh, they do that because they uh, they call it. They don't want to bring reproach on God's name. Basically, we don't want anyone to think worse of us than they already do because oh. of you know the odd oddities oh. of the religion. But they also forbid different kind of medical practices, like they forbid blood transfusions. And if you get one, you'll be shunned. So even if you save your life through a medical procedure, or you think it will, like it, let's say they're they're right. Let's say they're correct. And maybe you shouldn't do that. You, you should be given the information and given the option to make a decision. But the coercion is the problem here. People oh, yeah. are coerced. Uh, and same thing with uh, abused women, spouses, coercion. Uh, Women are not viewed as first-class citizens in the religion, which is not that uncommon in highly conservative 
religions like that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, properties of the, quote, religion of Jehovah's Witnesses that make it a cult. The biggest one probably being the shaming and the shunning. There's a saying in the ex-cult community that the difference between a religion and a cult is what happens when you try to leave. And that definitely qualifies. And other institutions that study cults have labeled the uh, organization of Jehovah's Witnesses as cults as well. Yes, which is why statism is a cult more than a religion, because I tried to leave it and I've seen what happens. <laughs> that is precisely the conclusion I came to yeah. over the last three years. And I've written about it on my Substack. Like, oh. If you don't get in line, if you don't toe the line, what happens? And that tells you whether or not the group you're in is a cult or it's just a tribe. There's a difference between a cult and a tribe. The, the, the line is fine, though. The, the, like, For sure. I, I think many religions, they do think less of you when you leave because they believe you will probably burn in hell, which is kind of arrogant in my, in my <laughs> opinion. Yeah. Uh, even though they don't maybe physically abuse you or, or uh, you know, use various psychological techni- techniques to, to you know, shun you and shame you into what not. They still like hint that you're probably going to burn in hell, which is, uh, yeah, it's a fine line. Okay, each to his own. As a, <laughs> yeah, I have no it. problem with people having the right to decide whether or not they think someone is a good associate. You know, someone like, I don't think I want to hang out with that guy because of X, Y, Z. That's cool. But you should leave that decision to the individual. When that is pushed down on you from above, now you're dealing with a cult. So this, this is not a personal decision we're each individually coming to regarding this person and whether or not we want to have something to do with them. This is being coerced on us from above. Okay. This is too tempting. You said that certain medical procedures are forbidden, uh, including blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me having a, uh, probably having a different view than most libertarians on this issue, I'd like to know your stance on abortions and if, uh, your stance changed after you left the cult or not? Well, my stance definitely changed because the cult is very anti-abortion. And that's understandable. I'm somewhere in the middle of that because I understand that if you believe that life begins at conception, which is a belief, but if you believe that to be true, then someone who has an abortion is murdering a baby. And how else can you respond to something like that other than with a vicious, you know, uh, protection of children. So I get it. Like if you believe that life begins at conception, you have no choice but to respond as fiercely as possible to try to prevent that thing. But on the flip side, there is no scientific medical evidence of when consciousness or life actually begins. It would be impossible to ask a fetus, hey, are you conscious right now? Can we like determine whether or not you're actually, you know, a thinking creature you can't ask that question. Yeah, so there's no way to prove one way or the other. So I also get the other side of people saying we should arrive at a reasonable expectation of when life probably begins and not allow abortion beyond that point, except under extreme circumstances. So I'm somewhere in the middle of that. This is, this is so funny. Like, yeah. The, the point you make is, is, is clear to me because if we don't know what's life and not like jerking off might, might be mass murder. 
For getting genocide. <laughs> we can't exactly. tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and women commit one murder a month. I mean, where do you draw the line, right? Yeah. But, that's really the question. Where's the line? Yes. Yeah. I grew up in a society which was very pro abortion, of course, since it was the, the, the religion of statism was the pro predominant one in, in Sweden during my childhood and, you know, when I grew up. So, so, uh, I was never like against abortions and I've never really come to understand that side of the problem until later on. And when I got to hang out with more Americans and more religious people in, in general and, uh, got their point of view. But then I read a, a book called the ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard which lays out why uh, abortion or not abortion, any, anything that has to do with the fetus and decisions about the fetus should be up to the woman and no one else. And he lays out a very good case for that because there's no better person to decide over what to do with the fetus than the woman herself. I mean, who, who could claim to have the right to decide for her what to do or not to do with something that's growing inside of her? That when, when the baby actually, uh, is outside of the mother, the case is different because then it's actually a, a, a being that a parent has to take care of. But when, she, when the baby, when the fetus is in the mother, Rothbard uses a very harsh language, which is very hard for, for people not into libertarianism at all to, to cling on to because he calls the fetus a parasite on the mother. Uh, but he means that in the strictest technical term possible, it is a parasite on the mother because uh, it needs nutrition that the mother needs to eat. I mean, the mother needs to feed herself uh, in order to feed the baby. And who's to tell the mother what to eat and what not to eat? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I've, that, I've, I've changed my stance to, to like, yes, I think it should be up to the mother up until the very point of birth. But uh, I don't think it should be promoted by any coercive entity at all. I mean, that woman will have to make the decision and she will have to pay for the medical procedure and the doctor that performs the abortion will have to perform it on his property after having get, gotten paid by the woman and taken the risk of be being, you know, shunned by his religious community or whatever. So... As, as usual in fiat clown world, all the incentives are skewed. So we think that it's an either or, and we think that this is a decision that should be taken lightheartedly when it's really kind of a tough or kind of a, it's a very tough choice for, for, for any person to, to decide that, to take that step. And it should be because we're talking about a potential life. You can't know for sure. And we don't know for sure if at some point there's some scientific, actual provable way to verify when life begins. Okay. Now we have a different discussion. This is a different discussion, but right now we don't know that there's no way to know that. And so anytime there's no way anyone, any external group or entity can know something for a fact, you should always leave it to the individual to decide what they want to do. That's my opinion. I don't call myself a libertarian, but in that way, I absolutely agree. There's, there's no choice. You have no choice, but let the individual decide what they want to do. 
Otherwise, you are, it's coercive. And I'm absolutely against coercion because I grew up in a cult and I know what that's like. Excellent. Then we're on the same page there. And you're well on your way to becoming a fully fledged ANCAP libertarian, toxic maximalist, <laughs> Bitcoiner, voluntarist, consensualist, psychopath. And it glads me to hear that. Oh, well. Let's get into the rest of the stuff. So you were, you dipped your toe into shit coinery for a while, but Corey Clipston got you out of it. Uh, he's been very good at, at describing how vile shit coins can be and shit coin companies can be and how, how ruthless they are in their lies and why the scams are much worse than you think they are because they're literally conjuring up stuff out of thin air built on top of the other stuff out of shit. Uh, conjured up of thin air and they're deliberately confusing people. You have this glorious one-time discovery, best thing ever type of godlike being called the time chain and Bitcoin that, that just exists regardless of anyone's opinions about it. And you have a bunch of pyramid schemes and scams. And th that's the this distinction. And we need to make that absolutely clear to people. I agree with that. And let me explain the thinking behind this. And two things. One, Corey didn't actually wake me up to the Bitcoin thing. He helped me realize that I need to be public about it. Uh, what The reason why I got into the, quote, crypto community is because I'm a software developer. I've been a software developer for decades. And although I understood and respect the concept of sound money, I didn't fully get or grok why fiat was as destructive as I now understand it to be. So in my mind as a software developer, I think, oh, wow, Bitcoin is amazing software, but no software stops at version one. Things get better. Technologies get better. Things improve. And why should this particular thing be any different? And when I would read things that Bitcoiners would talk about, I would see how they would be very pro market forces for everything else. Very pro. Like Everyone should be doing their best and the market should decide what gets used and all that. But when it came to, quote, quote crypto, everything else is shit coins, Bitcoin only. And that to me didn't jibe well at first. I get it now, especially coming out of the cult because the cult I was raised in said, we're the only true believers. We're the only chosen group of God. Everyone else is from the devil. And so the way I would hear Bitcoiners talk smacked to me because I didn't understand it yet of what I came out of. And for quite a while, I'm like, the Bitcoiners, I agree with sound money, but they really sound like a cult to me. So I'm going to just start looking into other things. Last year, when all of the institutions started to collapse, that made me go back and deep dive and revisit why Bitcoiners say the things that they do about everything else. And I, I've came, I came to the conclusion that it doesn't matter how good the tech is, you're building decks on the sinking Titanic. Anytime you're building on top of the current fiat system, which is what even the cryptos that aren't just outright rug pulls, like so many of them are, the few that have actual useful Pretty impressive technology is still building on top of a system that is destructive and is a Ponzi scheme effectively, even if not technically. 
So anything built on a Ponzi is a Ponzi. So if you're building these other techs on top of the fiat economic system, they're not any better than the fiat economic system. They might actually cause it to last a little longer, which is not a good thing for anybody. So Bitcoin is the only thing that is built outside of the system and intends to not be inside of the system ever. And that's the point. It's meant to replace it not improve it or fix it because you can't fix fiat. You can't fix a Ponzi. You can only let it die. And that's that's what brought me around to it when all the institutions and the three arrows capitals and those guys, the Voyagers, all started collapsing. And of course, FTX being the biggest one. That's what made me realize, no, the Bitcoiners are right. They may be harsh in the way they speak, but they're not wrong in what they're they're saying. And I also get that we're dealing with a David and Goliath situation here. You're you're this little group with this relatively tiny market cap in comparison to the hundred how many quadrillions of dollars or whatever the world economy is. You have this tiny little market cap Bitcoin. And it's trying to replace all of that. And if in order to win that fight, I David couldn't have walked up to the giant and been like, you know, let's talk about this. Let's have a, a civil. No, he had to break out the rock and just chuck this, you know, to knock that guy down and kill him because there was nothing else to do. Like when you're in a war, and this is a kind of virtual, you know, a war for people's minds and what they're the way they think about money, you can't always be nice. So, although it's not in my nature to be harsh or caustic like that, I absolutely get it. And I absolutely get how people who are being attacked from the outside in the fiat world, which is absolutely attacking the Bitcoin world, grouping it in with crypto, you can't always be civil or it's it's difficult. It's not in our nature to always sound civil when you're talking to people who are trying to destroy what you believe in, your gut response is to hit back. So I understand it. It's not who I am. But I understand why it is that way. And so it doesn't bother me now at all. And then you get the quarries who get on the news and take advantage of everything that happened to really show the difference between Bitcoin and shitcoins and to highlight it with very strong language, stopping at the point of swearing on public TV. He's very strong and adamant about it. And I respect that now in a way that I did not in the past because I didn't fully understand what I was dealing with. Interesting. Yeah, let, let, let me share a couple of perspectives on, on this that, that may clarify my position. And uh, like, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on, on what I'm about to say next. In my first book, The Sovereignty Through Mathematics, I wrote this chapter about financial atheism because I viewed Bitcoin. Uh, la- later on, I got to know that most Bitcoiners or a lot of Bitcoiners viewed it as a cult themselves or as a religion or as something, you know, spiritual. Uh, but I didn't, that, especially not at the time, I, I viewed it as like the uh, the equivalent of atheism in the financial world because what set it aside from everything else that preceded it was that it Every step of it could be verified scientifically. You could you could look at evidence and you could look at uh, a hash of a block, count the zeros, and very easily verify that this is the valid block. 
to me, in that sense, it do- did not require belief in, in the way that traditional currencies require belief. Every dollar bill has the words, in God we trust, on printed on them. Uh, and you need to trust the Fed to not inflate the supply too much. But you have no clue. Like, ask anyone anywhere if they know how many dollars that, it, that are in existence today. And nobody knows. Like, they know it's a, a, a huge number. But most people don't know the b- difference between a million and a billion which is approximately a billion. And the difference between a trillion and a billion is approximately a trillion. And people don't know these things intuitively. So they don't know how, how big this everything bubble is. So that's one thing. And the other thing about free market competition, I don't believe Bitcoiners don't believe in free market competition in money. On the contrary, we do believe in it. It's just that we see the benefits of having a clear winner. We know that money is a winner-takes-all game. If a, if a type of money is so good uh, that it's undeniably better than everything else, then that money will win. And we just believe that Bitcoin is that type of money, and we're just trying to explain to everyone else why that is the case. In today's world, the dollar is that money that is the winner. And it has won. Other countries has, have other types of currencies. But they only have those currencies because their governments force them to use those currencies. It's not because of a free market competition. It's because of a unfree market competition. And the dollar has won. We price oil in, in dollars and therefore we have the petrodollar and the US government can effectively print oil by enslaving their children when they exchange government bonds for new cash. That's what they're doing. So my question to you would be, do you still consider yourself a Christian or, or, what, or have your views on that particular religion itself changed after you left Jehovah's Witnesses? Do you still believe in God or do you have doubts now or wh- where, where are you in that? First of all, I do not identify as a Christian. Like I have mad love for Jesus and the principles that he taught and love your neighbor, take care of the sick, speak truth to power. Like those are all good things. And I admire anyone who's willing to do those things. So I have no issues with that. But I also agree with Gandhi, who said that I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because they're so unlike your Christ. And that, of course, is a blanket statement. I know many people who are Christians who are wonderful people, but the point being highlighted is that people who call themselves Christians very rarely behave in the way that if you just sit down and read the gospel, you'll realize this is how you should be to people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who don't believe what you do. And you just don't see that much in the actual Christian community, certainly not in the conservative Christian communities. Uh, One of my biggest problems back to the abortion issue with conservative Christians is that conservatives only seem to care about the baby until it's born. And then forget about that. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with helping someone who's forced to have a child. We're not going to do that. If you're going to have a belief system, you should be true to it. Don't, otherwise, you're just hanging someone on the wall and using that person as an icon and pointing to it in an attempt to convince other people they should do what you're saying, not what that person said. And that's true of any system, whether it's religious or political, like people who point to certain political 
leaders that they claim are their inspiration, but then actually don't behave like that person did at all. They're just using that person as a signpost and they're not a real influence. And I think for a lot of Christians, you see that Jesus isn't really their savior. He's not really their influence. They're doing what their church tells them to do. And so I don't respect that. If you or whoever's watching is a person who actually tries to behave and act and be the kind of man or person that Jesus was, hey, nothing but respect for that, but not for people who uh, just pretend and at the behest of whatever religion they're in. So while I don't believe in the God of the Bible, I don't believe that there's like a old guy in the sky, you know, that does everything as a, a software developer and as a person who, you know, I try to think rationally. I don't believe the numbers work to get complex life in a finite system from a finite period that has existed for a finite period of time. Now, that doesn't mean that I believe that there is like a just solid God type thing out there somewhere. I think that if there is an answer, it's that everything is an intelligence in some complex way. Like the universe is a complex machine of intelligence. Maybe that's all it is. I practice mindfulness meditation. And so I tend to view the physical world as kind of an illusion. I lean a little Buddhist in that way, that everything is an illusion. But I do consider myself a very spiritual person, but not a religious person. I don't believe that dictates of some religion are going to lead anyone to the salvation they're looking for. It's going to lead you to be the slave of someone else who made up those dictates that you were following because you think they came from God. So that's where I fall uh, along those lines. Might be an odd question after you just admitted to thinking that it may be possible that everything is an illusion, but do you think, do you believe Jesus was an actual historical character? I do believe he was a historical character because uh, there's actually more evidence that Jesus existed than that Alexander the Great existed. And no one ever questions Alexander the Great. But I will also admit, there's no way to know for sure based on documentation and evidence. And obviously, I don't think everything attributed to Jesus as his words in the Bible are probably things he really said, because at best, they're decades, written decades after he died, and it's going off of someone's memory the best they could recall. So it's very difficult to know for sure, but that's not important to me because in my perspective, what matters is the principles that embody the person that people think of as Jesus Christ. And if someone believes he's real and those principles are worthy of imitation, I have great respect for that. If someone doesn't think he was a real person, if they view the gospels as a story, as a fictional account, and yet they think those principles are worthy of imitation, I am in favor of that. I mean, how many movies and novels have we read where we know it's fiction, but we watch that and we're inspired by what happens in it. And we want to be a person like the person in that story. That's not a bad thing. So whether you believe he was real or whether you don't, I think that it's an admirable personality and set of principles uh, to be inspired by and to follow. And and although I do not consider myself a Christian, I do subscribe to many of those principles even still. 
Yeah, I think at least five of the Ten Commandments are uh, commendable. The, you can discard the first two, and some of the others are kind of, you know, obvious and redundant. Of course, you shouldn't kill other people and still take their stuff. That's a good way to live. You know, and, and if you listen to Jesus, you know, he only ever quoted a couple of those. When he asked, what's the, he was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? The response was, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. The end. Yeah. Like, that's it. And I agree with that. Like, it, the God part aside. It depends, depends on what neighbors you have. Well, in, but if you look at, in Jesus' case, he treated, if you believe the stories, he treated people that the country as a rule detested yeah. with care and kindness and compassion. So. I'd I'd like to do a little test that I uh or test or test it's a, it's the wrong word I I just like to to uh, to try this out with with spiritual people I meet uh, not only former Christians or Christians or whatever just just to see if this maps onto I'm going to read you a couple couple of sentences and you're going to answer if you agree or if you disagree and after I've done that I'll tell you what I just read you. If that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Fine. Okay. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. I agree with that. In accordance with reason, not, not everyone or everything deserves compassion. Okay. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over other laws and institutions. I do agree that, yeah, justice should be put above the law. Yeah. Uh, all right. This is, it's so fun because this uh, maps on to, to, to most Bitcoiners so well. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming guess, you're quoting nefarious yeah, yeah, you, you, can, you can guess afterwards, Luke, but you yeah. can't guess now. I can't so, guess now. Okay. No, no, no. You'll guess afterwards. We'll have to do them all first. Okay. One, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Yeah, I agree with that too. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Yeah, I agree with that for the most part. I mean, there are fine lines, but yeah, I do agree that generally speaking, yeah. we should not be telling people they can't speak in a certain way, even if we loathe what it is that they're saying. Excellent. Next one. Beliefs should conform to one's own, to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. See, now that one's tricky for me because uh, it depends on what you call scientific fact. Look over the last three years and all the nonsense that was labeled yeah, as that, fact that, no, no, compared no, no, to misinformation. That, that's, that's belief. Uh, scientific facts are a diff different thing. Empirical research that's pointing in one direction are not facts. That, that, that's not a scientific fact. I, I would even claim that a scientific fact is only something that you can reason yourself to a priori. So, for instance, one plus one equals two. You can reason yourself to that because we define what two is by adding one and one together. We, the, the very word is defined by by that exact equation or i can tell you that you control your own body 
And you cannot argue against that because in arguing against it, you have to control your own body. You have to control your tongue and your lips. and your... So I would count that as scientific fact. So if we put it in that framework to make it a bit easier, you know, it's not the science, it's actual science. The square of the hypo hypotenuse is uh, equal to the, the, <laughs> the square of the two sides of a triangle. Uh, Stuff like that. Okay, reread the quotes. So I want to make sure okay. I answer this one correctly. Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs, which is exactly what I think the believers in the science are doing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I do agree that people should not do that, but I would also say that what someone views as scientific fact or as fact is it's a subjective opinion from their own perspective because different people will see the same data and draw different conclusions and that people you should not try to impose from the outside well this is the scientific fact so you have to do it the way this group has come to a consensus to say this is correct yeah. i think people should have the right to allow their belief system to govern what they do if I'm a fool and I don't believe one plus one is equal to two. I should be able to act on that in a way that I see fit. There might be consequences to that and I have to be willing to deal with them. But generally speaking, yeah, I agree with that. I just think that that statement can be misused oh, to get yeah, other people. Can. But, but, but listen, listen to it again and listen to the intricacies of the sentence. You sound very much like a Hoppian. A type libertarian, by the way, in, in, in defending these positions. <laughs> let, me, let me read it to you again. Beliefs should conform to once your own best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. So it's more of an advice towards you uh, as you go through life to never try to shoehorn something into your worldview, but to to learn from the world around you and adapt to it rather than the other way around. Yes, I agree. We should not try to make things fit our own belief system that what we do should be born out of what we know. Okay. That's just, oh, that's such a tricky line to me yeah, yeah. because of my history. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so I, I guess we can say that the first four totally agree. This fifth one Close to totally agree, but not really totally agree. Maybe maybe it could be rephrased and uh, framed differently. It would be easier to agree with. Yeah, that, something that like works. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, number six. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Yes, I agree with that. Number seven. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken world, word. I, I don't agree with the first part because I do not believe every tenet has been created for that purpose. In fact, I think most of them were not. I, I mean, this is, ref this is uh, in reflection. It, this is referring to these tenets, these seven tenets. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, so I guess the, the second part is the important part. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Yes, I absolutely do agree with that. 
All right. Uh, you'll get the first guess here. Can you guess what these seven tenets were? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Luke, take your best guess. I'm going to be very surprised if this isn't the satanic Bible. It is. It's the seven tenets of Satanism. But here's the thing. I don't have an issue with that because I actually have a friend. Uh, no, no. It pres- prescribes, subscribes to that. I don't think truth is born out, out of some other religious ideal. In fact, if you read the Bible, who killed almost everybody in the Bible? Was it God or was it the devil? <laughs> yeah, yeah, God did. So, and if you, if the conservative estimate is that over a hundred million people were slaughtered by God in the Bible, and the only people that the devil kills, if you believe that it was him, was ten people in Job. Yeah. So okay, that's that's a bad thing killing somebody's kids, but that's better than a hundred million people, I suppose, on balance. So yeah, I don't have an issue with the fact that it came from the satanic tenets. Like that doesn't no, no, matter. No. no uh, if if I would have suspected that you would be offended by this, of course I wouldn't have done it. But I but I think it's such a it's 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 a fun thing to read. Uh, I came up with this in Miami talking to Tomer Strawley, uh, but because it sort of points at how any worldview can can be mapped onto to Bitcoin and to to you know mind your own business and be a nice person type of it's <laughs> right. it's it's sort of in every philosophy there are very mm-hmm. few philosophies that tell you to uh be an asshole <laughs> it's basically just communism that does that and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truth is truth regardless of who speaks it yeah yeah uh or if anyone speaks at all <laughs> yeah for sure uh, the, the a, history uh, of the the sat- satanic church and the satanic Bible, though, is is I, I don't know. I I think I think it's it's really not trying to be. Uh, it, I I suppose it is trying to be sacrilegious, but not in not in a literal. Yeah, sense. it's it's I, you. No, it's using that imagery to 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 make fun of Christians. That's the exactly. only. Yeah, it's for shock it's, value. Yeah, 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 of course. You actually course. know know where it's coming from. They did that. They used the name Satan for shock value and nothing. Oh, of yes. course, of course. Yeah. And and I appreciate that. I love the spaghetti the pastafaris and the flying spaghetti monster as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Although uh, honestly some of some of their branches are a little bit tied in with the the wokies these days, to be honest. They've they've started to go of course. a little bit on the uh, they're so anti-Christian right, conservative Christians that they're they're going the full other direction and did, did so you, maybe not holding this all up. Yeah. Did you guys see the Book of Mormon? Yeah, yeah I read it uh, once years ago. No, no, but I mean the musical. <laughs> oh no, no, <laughs> not the actual uh-uh. book. No, uh, because it's so good because it points at you know these these people are try, uh, confused but trying doing their best to. to be good and doing something good for the world. So it's, is that see that's yeah. where the compassion part comes into me because yeah. I grew up in this cult with a lot of good people. Yeah, but their goodness was being suppressed by the religion they were in. Yeah, and I feel like the same thing is true in the economic environment of fiat. We want to be good people, at least within our tribe. Like our, that's our biology, our evolution is that we want to be cooperative and supportive of the tribe. But the fiat system has made it a requirement that we put ourselves perpetually in front of everyone else. Because if you don't, 
you fall behind and then you can't take care of yourself because what you're trying to build is wasting away year after year after year. So the fiat system suppresses people's desire to be good, compassionate, just individuals and causes them to have to look out for themselves to a degree that they would not normally do. We would all do that, of course, to a a large degree because we're selfish by nature, but we would be able to pause and say, you know, I have plenty and what I have that I've saved will be worth more next year and way more in 10 years and 50 years when I hand it down to my, my children or whatever. I'm going to take this year and I'm going to go volunteer at the food bank and just work there and help other people who have less because I know I'm good. But if you know or have the sense that even if you don't understand why your savings are wasting away, if you know that you're able to buy less and less every year, if you get you have that sense, you can't pause because you see what you've built deteriorating every day. You don't try to keep heaping something on top of it. And I compare it in my Substack to when I was a kid, I used to go to the beach. I was never good at building sand castles. So I would build sand hills. I would just take the bucket and like just dump more sand on top of the other sand to see how tall I could make the hill. But what happens when you do that? Most of it runs down the side and just a little bit manages to stay on top. That's fiat. You keep trying to save. You keep trying to build And it just keeps rolling down the sides of the hill. So you frantically keep dumping more and more and more. But the minute you stop, the hill begins to deteriorate. And so you have to keep it up. And that suppresses people's desire that they would otherwise have to take the time to help other people. They, They can't. If they do, it hurts themselves. And so they keep pushing. Hey, Luke, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the Consensus Network, the platform that this show is on and the publishing house that publishes my books? What is the Consensus Network, Luke? Thanks, Knut. The Consensus Network is a Bitcoin-only publisher and translator. In other words, translates Bitcoin books into all sorts of languages. Anyone who's interested in translating a book into their language can get in touch with the Consensus Network to help translate and spread the Bitcoin message throughout the world. We have lots of great examples here. Knut's books are some of the most popular on the site. Check out consensus.network or bitcoinbook.shop to see everything that Consensus has to offer. That's bitcoinbook.shop. Use the affiliate code FOOTPRINT for 10% off. Knut, can you tell us about how to get in touch with you and find out more about your stuff and the things that you're involved in these days? Yeah, sure, Luke. So I'm at Knut Svanum on Twitter. I also have a website, knutsvanum.com, where you can find all of my books. There's a whole bunch of books. These old two ones, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, are being rehashed into one book that's coming out with a foreword by Prince Philip. I'm also making a wine. I'm not making this wine, but this is a wine bottle with a Bitcoin B on it that you can sign up for on my website. And you can also find all sorts of everything divided merch if you're interested in that. So uh, that's how you support me. It's the whole thing as well. If people were getting taxed 40, 50, 60%, then charity would be a much more natural thing. But all of the arguments coming from, I guess, opponents of the idea of charity or the state proponents of statism, whatever it is, is like, well, why aren't you doing more charity? It's like, well, have you seen how much we've got left? I mean, uh, so, so it's still, it's still good when, when people can manage to do it, but it would be so much more prevalent in the world. I think if, uh, 
it weren't getting forcibly taken to be distrib- redistributed by yeah. certain means, whatever, you know? Yeah, I agree with that, though I also believe that people are only inherently motivated to directly support the tribe because evolutionarily we are tribal and there's a number called Dunbar's number and I've written about it. You can have roughly 150 contacts that you care about. Like that's as far out as your psyche can stretch. Any more than that, and you don't see those individuals, generally speaking, as part of your tribe. So, and once you get to your family, your friends, your extended family, your, you know, like neighbors you're close to, maybe coworkers, your church, if you go to one or social group, that's it. Like that's as far out as your mind can reach to connect with people and care about them. And so it's easy to see people beyond that as not part of the tribe. And therefore, you don't care. And so you're not motivated with the same degree to support them in a charitable way as you would be. You may not be motivated at all, which is why charities go to these great extremes to really show you the suffering of individuals and put it in front of your face to get it to trigger your instinct to want to help. But even then, you see we have major problems. And prior to taxation being as awful as it is in the US, you still had a lot of people that were poor, right? People weren't wealthy there and, and there weren't just massive amounts of char- charitable individuals taking care of everyone else. In some ways, people were worse off. So in my opinion, that's because not because of the money system, it's because of our limitation psychologically to see people outside our tribe as people we need to take care of. I don't know what the solution to that is. I know that the taxation problem is absolutely making it worse. I don't know what the solution is to that. And uh, maybe you have more experience with that, Knut? I, I'm going to have to, yeah, uh, a solution and playing the devil's advocate here for a bit. Yeah, you're totally right about Dunbar's number. And you. most people are only altruistic to that specific group. But there's nothing wrong with that. And this is the problem that the free market fixes because we, we can all specialize and do things for selfish reasons and while doing so helping everyone else. If we have a functioning free market with sound money, which we sort of had during the gold standard, but not really. Gold was not divisible enough and not portable enough and was easily confiscated. Bitcoin takes all of all those boxes and uh, solves for all those problems. So, and we have to remember that the, the free market was doing its thing way better in the beginning of the 20th century than during the latter part, mostly because of Richard Nixon and dropping the, uh, the, the last remnants of the gold standard in 1971. But even before that, no currency was really pegged to, to gold. That was dropped in the beginning of the 20th century. And before that, the, the free market functioned much, much better, but at smaller scales because technology weren't as advanced. So if you compare a, a, uh, uh, a screwdriver from the year 1900 to a robotic <laughs> screwdriving arm in a, a, a factory in the year 2000, 100 years later, the, the latter can, can in screws per time unit, it's just 
orders of magnitude better. So, so the free market, if it was not, you know, uh, handicapped in the way it is by fiat money, it could function much better and feed every, absolutely everyone on the planet easily by just letting people do things voluntarily and interact with, with one another voluntarily and every ship would rise with that tide. The view we have of history is distorted by, by the time period we, we, because we never experienced the alternative timelines. We, we only experienced the one we actually were in. Uh, yeah, and you could make the case that that's the only one that ever existed. But it's, I think it's a fool's errand to, to look at that and say that this couldn't have been done in other ways if we had different tools. Because if we'd had something like Bitcoin in the year 1900, or if Bitcoin were, was invented before 1971, uh, I mean, it was mathematically possible to run something like Bitcoin back then as well then we might have been much, much better off at this point if we had the freedom to trade, because like if goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers do. And that's the unfortunate reality we've been living in for the last hundred years. Uh, protectionism and, you know, tribalism has won, in a sense, over, uh, over the free markets. Uh, and I believe Bitcoin is a the first thing we have that can that can truly change that on a deep level because you can make violence so much less profitable that that the only way to extract value from your fellow human being or the best way the most profitable way to do it is not to coerce and to steal any longer it is to cooperate and it's more and more obvious that that is the case uh, and that coercion coercion will lead to the detriment of not only your victim but of you, <laughs> because even if I po point a gun at your head and say, give me all your Bitcoin, you give me a fraction of your Bitcoin and I have no way of knowing how much you gave me. <laughs> the better choice for me is always to take my chances of trying to provide you something with value. And you would probably give me more Satoshis that way than if I uh, and come to your door with a $10 wrench or what is it now? $20 wrench it used to be a $5 wrench, but I guess it's a $20 wrench at this point. Anyway, I that's agree. my standpoint. And I agree with those things. I agree that sound money, Bitcoin, that is a vastly superior system to what we're working with now. And I also believe that we won't know, we can't possibly conceive of the way in which that will change the world until it does. And then we'll be like, well, it's obvious. It should have been obvious. In hindsight, it'll be obvious that it would solve these problems and fix these things. And I also know <laughs> over the last three years, I guarantee you if the system stays in place for much longer, the history books are going to have the biggest lying narrative about what happened over the last three years. Not a word of it's going to be true. And based on that, I've had to look back over what I thought I believed about history and wonder, now that I know how narratives get spun and modified and written and shoved down people's throats. What do we think happened in the past that didn't really, or maybe was significantly different? So it's hard to look at the past and say, well, when the US was on a sounder money standard pre-20th century, and there were still people that were homeless and hungry and like, 
the charity solution didn't fix that problem then. Well, there was so. So why do we think it's going to fix it going forward? But then, like you said, it's not the same thing. I mean, we're not dealing with a a transferable system here. But what I do know from history is that people went to war to enrich themselves and their group until it became more economically beneficial for them to not do so. And when trade became possible through technology in a way that made it much more efficient than going and trying to beat someone over the head to take whatever possessions they had, then violence came down. And I love Steven Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, that he really breaks down the numbers for that about how it was the technology of commerce that changed the world to be much less violent than it used to be. Because it's not that people got morally superior. It wasn't Christianity's birth. (laughs) That's probably the opposite in that case. That caused people to stop being as violent. It was just technology and the fact that people's ability to trade was a better return for them than physical violence. And so they would rather trade. And that's still true today, even though you see proxy wars, right? You see a lot of little proxy uh, conflicts. The major nations do not go to war with each other because the benefit, the cost would far outweigh the benefit. If the U.S. decided they were going to try to invade Russia over Ukraine, the just utter destruction of economy that would cause every player involved prevents them from ever making that choice. So they have little proxy wars where they just push people into smaller nations that don't really matter to them if something, if it gets destroyed or corrupted or the economy goes down or whatever. So I agree with you there. I just don't know that sound money alone fixes the problem of charity. It's better, of course, but because of our inability to see people I'm outside not, I'm our I'm not Dunbar saying it does, though. I'm not saying it fixes charity. I'm saying that the free market is the best mechanism we have for elevating people out of poverty. Some people will still be poor. Some by choice, some semi by choice, but some people uh, at and the, but the the real takeaway is that resources are so much more abundant today than they were a hundred years ago. For so sure. there, there's a way bigger pie to share with everyone. So so even a, even a little charity on top of that, uh, I think would suffice to 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 feed the world. If so, it, Pinker writes about this too. How how uh, we have almost eradicated starvation from the planet and, and absolute poverty. And almost everyone in a developing nation has a smartphone, which makes mm-hmm. all of their lives orders of magnitude easier to live. Because they have just because of the fucking flashlight in the phone. <laughs> I mean, there's so sure. much there. Yeah. So and and that is because of the free market and nothing else. And it's not because of a sound money global free market. It's it's a handicapped dog on three legs bullshit free market that is full of interventionist bullshit everywhere and uh, warlords taking their stuff in africa and you know the wef and the imf and all of these parasitic institutions doing their things uh public sectors in every country leeching off of everyone else uh so despite all that the free market managed to give almost everyone on the planet a smartphone. And I think that's just, uh, I, that's just uh, such a beautiful proof of how 
extremely potent uh, the free market is as a force for good in the world. And that's why this is like the thing we should strive for, a, a global free market where everyone's a sovereign indi individual with sound money. There's no better mechanism for solving anything than that. It, 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 I don't disagree. So Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah. That's, that's the, it's, it's really true. Bitcoin truly does fix everything. And maybe I can make a slightly controversial add-on to this as well, is, is I think the Dunbar's num number thing isn't actually a negative here in terms of this charity concept. I think it enhances it in the sense of if every individual tries their best to take care of those closest to them, then that's going to extend, extend, extend. There's always going to be the margins. And it's also kind of like the... Um, I forget the name of the, the paradox or whatever that says that the majority of, of wealth goes to the, the top, uh, kind of thing. That still is going to happen under a Bitcoin standard. I wish I remember that, uh, the name, but, um, but it's the, it's the rising tide thing. And it's also the case of that if someone has almost infinite resources kind of stored up, they'll want to make their, city a better place and it doesn't really need to matter that their capacity is only x number of people that are people it everything else is still going to matter they're still going to want their immediate world to be a good place and extend that extend that extend that and some people yeah. are going to feel empathy for people on the other side of the world so i i i to add a couple of points to that, which are really optimistic, Dunbar's number is probably the the uh, an optimal number for a company should probably not be bigger than that. Like the people you collaborate with on a daily basis, you should probably know them by name, uh, all of them. Like uh, it's probably not good to mess that number up too much. And you can see that in companies that grow outgrow uh, Dunbar's number, they always run into a lot of problems when they do. So uh, the company I used to work for had like around 300 employees and the problem started when they outgrew like 160 or whatever Dunbar's number is. But the, the beauty of this, like when you say that the all ships will rise with the tide, but there will still be the, the wealthy elite will still get the bigger share. The optimistic thing about that is like we live in a world now where we're actually funneling wealth from the poor and the middle classes up into the elite via the fiat monetary system. Because if you, the closer you are to the monetary spigot, the, the more wealth gets funneled that way. In Bitcoin, if you look at blockchain statistics, uh, on the number of addresses with 10,000 Bitcoins or more in them are shrinking in numbers, and the number of addresses with one Bitcoin or less in them are growing in numbers. So what this effectively means is that, is that yeah, there are some really big whales that have a a few hundred thousand bitcoins, but that wealth is redistributing itself over time by doing the exact opposite of what those that claim that they are redistributing wealth are doing. By introducing an absolutely free market with no barriers, uh, the wealth gets dispersed across all the societal classes. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing because like uh, people are worried about Michael Saylor, you know, uh, hoarding Bitcoin. But in a world where no one accepts anything but Bitcoin for their goods and services, 
Michael Saylor will have to use his stack in order to buy anything. And this goes for, for everyone. So, so as we approach hyper-Bitcoinization, as more and more people not only just start to accept Bitcoin, but as they realize how great this thing is and that they should accept nothing but Bitcoin, that's when we get into hyper-Bitcoinization territory. And that's where everything becomes truly fucking beautiful. Because that's when you get the redistribution of wealth happening automatically. Of course, some people would be more productive than others, but that's that, that's what the free market is supposed to do. It's supposed to to reward those most productive. But if you read economics, you know that like it's marginal utility. Like the the you you cannot you know do the same thing over and over again and be profitable in the long run because you will have more and more competitors. So it all always works towards an equilibrium. And this goes for everyone in the economy. This mechanism for, for actually just leeching wealth off of others, that's what goes awake. So the, the, the way to accumulate wealth on a Bitcoin standard is to provide value to others. So it's an, it's an ever-sustaining, supercharged, positive loop feedback system uh, that at the same time removes resources from those most violent and those most thieving and pathetic liar, that type of class of society. It removes wealth from those in a sly roundabout way and gives it to all of us awesome people instead. So yeah, end of rant. <laughs> good rant, good rant. Uh, a point about what you're saying about how the removal of fiat and the return of sound money does cause a feedback loop that occurred to me while you were talking about it. Is I have a friend who works for a company that they they get grants from a variety of places, the government, private institutions, to help people who have uh, certain mental disabilities to establish themselves and to be able to live independently, which is that's a noble thing that they do. And what she says, and this was interesting to me, that uh, you would think that if you tell someone all you have to do is fill out this paperwork and like we can pay your rent for six months, that you would think that people would be like, oh, absolutely, let's do that. And yet it's like pulling teeth to get some people to do anything. And some people are, are very active and they take advantage of it and they're happy. And you know, this person who's a friend of mine took advantage of it herself and was able to get established. And that's why she wanted to work there. But there are people who don't want to do anything. And I think that uh, part of that is the psychology that gets built in a fiat system. Because what do politicians promise in fiat systems? More money, more money, more social programs, free, free, free. We'll take care of you. We'll do everything for you. It promotes an attitude of lack of responsibility. And that creates this problem where you have, what do you think people are going to be? If you're promoting lack of responsibility, they're not going to be responsible. I like the way Jeff Booth puts it. He says, what kind of a world do you think is going to arise from a system built on theft? Like if you grew up in the mob, is are you going to be raised in a system that teaches you to be an enlightened, kind, compassionate, nonviolent individual? No. And so if someone from the mob comes and says, hey, I got your back. I'm going to do this thing for you and help you out. Will you believe them? You're probably going to be like, all right, what's he up to? 
You know, you're, you immediately distrust because you know the system that you live in and you know it's not trustworthy. So people who are raised to taught to be irresponsible because of the way fiat works and taught to distrust the system because of the way fiat works and the Cantillon effect that you described, all the money flowing to people closest to the printer. What kind of a world do you think that's going to produce? And if you remove that system, the feedback loop begins. People start to realize, oh, my money's worth more every year, not less. Oh, I can actually work and save and know that I'm going to retire. Oh, I'm motivated now to get off my butt and do something because there's something worth doing that's not going to disappear. Although this is an extreme example. I wrote an article a while back. Uh, I went to Asheville, North Carolina. I used to live in Asheville. And there's a huge house there. It's called the Biltmore Estate. It is 175,000 square feet. It is literally four acres under the roof. It is insanely huge. It's a castle. And it was built, finished in 1896, before there was an income tax, right? And the first time I took a private tour of the home, which is just a marvel of design when you walk through it, the guy who was the tour guide, who's very excited, loved his job, loved talking about the house. He points out the stones that it's made out of, which are massive and like hand cut. This is not built with power tools. It's just ridiculously impressive. And he says, you see that? People couldn't do that today. And not just because it's too expensive. Nobody knows how to do that anymore. And that's because of fiat. Because you can't afford to do something like you can't build a castle and maintain a castle anymore. The number of people that requires you employ, the ridiculous amount of taxes that you have to pay. Like you, even if you're super uber wealthy, to build and maintain something like that now is virtually impossible. And so nobody knows how to craft like that because nobody's building like that because there's only a few people, key people in the world. Who could even afford to do that if they wanted to? So you end up losing all of this knowledge that would make the world this amazing place full of this amazing architecture that in the past you see in the past. You have things like it, you walk through London and you see some of these ancient buildings and they're just stunning and their design, these old churches. Now, granted, some of that was basically slave labor, but people knew how to do it. They knew how yeah. to make those works. They don't know how to do that anymore because no one can. And the fiat system creates that lack of skill. Those artisans are gone because of fiat. You get rid of fiat, you put sound money back in place, artisanship becomes viable again. And we see the world return to these marvels of architectural design that they were in the past that we look at and admire. And we wonder, why is everything so cheaply built today? That's why. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. And uh, another point about those old big buildings that they were full of people working there. They're full of employees. Like there were house maidens and, and you know, uh, gardeners and wh whoever used to work in the house. But people can't afford to have, you know, staffed houses anymore uh, in the way they, they used to. Instead, we have. A, a handful of extremely rich people that can have all, <laughs> all, all the all the stuff in the world, and you know the White House is ba basically the the castle, and everyone in the public sector is their 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 maid, 
Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, yeah, I remember my, my grandparents moved into, uh, in the, in the middle of the last century, my, my, uh, grandfather, uh, on my mother's side used to be the CEO of a cement factory in a small town in Sweden. And they got to move into, uh, uh, a very big house there, or like, a a big mansion. And then they, uh, had the opportunity to buy one after, after he quit. Uh, and that mansion came with one of the workers, one of the staff from the century before that. So, so this guy had been in there since the 19th century and he was 90 years old. I, I, I can barely remember, but I sat on his lap when I was like three or four years old and he died shortly after, but they, they, in buying the house, they had to take this guy who lived there and had lived there for, for like 90 years since he was born, basically in the middle. 1850 or something so uh or maybe not, no it must have been late 1800s so uh yeah i i think it was very different to you you bought a big mansion for for different reasons uh and you could accommodate this tribe this dunmore's number tribe of people that lived there and of course there was a hierarchy but it's only after the introduction of fiat that that type of hierarchy is like a taboo subject, like it, it's okay to clean in an, in someone office, someone's office, but you know, you know, if you're cleaning at someone at someone's house, you're uh, it's treated differently, and you're looked down upon if you're a housemaid, which which is strange. I mean, I mean th- this is from a Scandinavian perspective, of course, where there was a lot of uh, envy was was a big driving force in in, in Sweden at the time. I don't know, maybe it's different in the US. But yeah, uh, now we have these big skyscrapers with the huge office buildings with no one in them. Someone, uh, some billionaire owning the entire fucking thing and there's nothing going on inside. And it's just depressing. It's also a function of the time preference that results from fiat because you end up with a high time preference. So to build something like the castle that is built more requires years and years and you have to be willing to wait too but if you live in a fiat world where you're taught that everything you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring it, but you know it's going to be worse than today how much time are you going to put into building something like that an example i talked to a guys years ago who owned a greenhouse and he was an older fella uh near retirement age and he had grown up in the business. It was a family business. He said, you know, when I was younger, people used to come to the greenhouse and they would buy oak trees and they would buy these trees and plants that took a long time to mature because they wanted to plant it for their children and their grandchildren. He said, today, I can't sell any of those. Like They want to buy river birches, stuff that grows to maturity full size in like a year or two because they want the instant, immediate enjoyment of whatever it is that they buy, they're not thinking long-term for their kids and their grandkids. And Biltmore is another example of that because the entire grounds, it's got this beautiful forested like garden park that you drive through going into the estate. All of it was designed in advance to mature 50 years later when the owner, George Washington Vanderbilt, knew he would long be dead. 
he he didn't have it designed for his own benefit. He was designing it for future generations. Now, I'm not saying the guy was a saint. You know, I don't know much about him as a human being, but just that way of thinking is so different. A fiat system teaches people to think now, now, now. Look at soundbite culture. Look at like I do it too in my YouTube videos because I'm trying to attract like general public audience, those quick jump cuts, keep things pace, moving, 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 not these long form discussions like we have because people get easily bored. And I personally believe all of that is rising. It's bubbling up from a fiat psyche that has been built over decades and decades. It didn't happen instantly in 1971, but you can see the difference from people from that generation to my generation, I was born in 77, to my kids and, and on, you can see the difference in their attitudes and their time preferences. It surprises me still to see that difference. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with everything there. And if we're, if we're ever as a species going to colonize the stars, we need to lower our time preference a lot. Like there's nowhere around that. It's been great to have, to to get to know you, Jonathan. Uh, I enjoy this conversation a lot. Uh, Luke, do you have any final thoughts or questions? We don't have to wrap it up just like that, but uh, maybe well, can you can tell us just a little bit more about this uh, fiat cult thing that uh, that you've been tossing around. And I hear maybe there's a couple of projects in the mix about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, when I sat down and I analyzed the cult that I came out of and compared it to the financial system of fiat that we live in. There are four major areas of overlap, and there's probably more, but those are the four that immediately jumped out at me. The first one is suppression and propaganda. Like the cult I came out of taught you do not trust any external sources. We are the only people who harbor, we have the truth. Everyone else is a lie. They're from the devil. You can't trust them. Anything they write, anything they say, they're trying to trick you so that you won't be saved. And that mistrust was inborn because I was raised in it. So from day one, you're being taught, like, don't trust any outside world. They call them worldly sources, which in a normal society, the term worldly means you have experience and knowledge. It's a positive thing. But in the cult, no, 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 this is a terrible thing. These are wicked people trying to trick you and take you out of the goodness that you live in. And there's propaganda involved where they continually recycled these things and you weren't supposed to read anything outside their literature, which continued to reinforce the same thing in a, a negative feedback loop. Well, that's not different from the fiat culture that we live in. Gross Mainstream science. media, what yeah. do they label it? <laughs> Misinformation, conspiracy theories, don't believe anything we don't tell you because they're all lying and trying to harm your health or whatever it is, the flavor of the day. They're lying to you. Doctors losing their licenses, refusing to peer review anything that doesn't toe the line, which completely defeats the purpose of having a peer review to begin with. If you're only taking in stuff that you already agree with, what's the point of a peer review? <laughs> but that causes other people Spot to be on. able to say, see, it's not peer reviewed. And that gives them something to look at and point at and say it's wrong. So it's the same kind of behavior. People were even taught to shun people who wouldn't wear a face diaper or wouldn't get vaxxed. So there was a kind of shunning involved too, though it was softer than what I came out of. People would literally not invite people to stuff. I was not invited to a birthday party because I wasn't vaxxed. 
And not because the person was malicious, they legit thought that their health was at risk. A, a, tra- like a travel like, ban is just that. You're not invited yeah. to my country. That's it. That's it. That's it. it. So suppression and propaganda, that's number one. And very, very similar uh, behavior. The second one is a lack of education. I don't know what it's like in Sweden uh, or Canada, but in the US, you learn zero about the fiat system in public school. What you, you are not taught about entrepreneurship. You're not taught, you're not even taught how to balance a checkbook anymore. Like they used to do that, but now they don't. They, there's nothing like that. Some basic like money education, but nothing about how it works or the system, none of that. The cult I came out of, very similar. Did not teach about their history did not teach about where they came from. They had their own skewered version, skewed version of history, just like what you read in public school history books is very skewed to make the government look very rosy in most cases. They don't teach you the things you know to be able to take a look at the system you're in and recognize it for what it is. They prey on the uneducated. And so in public school, you're basically taught to become a wage slave when you get out. You're going to graduate Maybe you go to college and then you go work for somebody else. It's never really presented as your best option is not to work for somebody else, but to be self-employed. So that complete lack of education keeps people in the dark. And that's very similar to the cult that I came out of. So that's number two. The third one, punishment and reward system. Obviously, the shaming and shunning that was uh, the case in the cult I came out of. Same thing over the last three years, over all that nonsense, doctors losing their licenses, people not invited to birthday parties, you can't travel, like all this stuff. And there's more than just that though. Governments use fines, they use jail times, they add taxes onto industries that they don't like. Like if you create a gas guzzling car in the US, you have to pay extra taxes in most of the states because it uses more fuel. Yeah. So to purposefully try to pick or make winners and losers rather than just letting the market decide what people want. So those kinds of things, the punishment is the same, but there's also rewards. In the cult, if you towed the line, did what you were supposed to do, you got special privileges, you got praise and admiration from people, from the leaders. Sometimes there was material, physical support. If you had been doing this for a long time, you know they would support you. Government does the same things. You get tax breaks, there's loopholes, there's but welfare it, programs, both for citizens and industries. Like it's not dissimilar. If, if I may, this, this is so funny because like a, a government subsidy or a, the government rewarding someone is usually not taxing them or giving them back some of the, the things that they already taxed away. So it's just the punishment of everyone else, basically. Yeah, it's not a reward. It's just punishing yeah. everyone else. Yeah. That's so a fair a, way to look at two, it. Yeah. Two sides of the same coin, punishment or reward. Yeah, yeah go sure. on with the fourth point. So the last point is the hamster wheel. Like in the cult that I was in, you could never do enough. It was an endless cycle of drudgery and misery. Every time you reached a goal, they put a new one in front of you. You were never doing enough. They used to quote uh, Jesus way out of context. And they say, you were a good for nothing slave. What you did is what you should have done. Right. That's how they viewed it. And you, that was supposed to be virtuous to view all of your work. It's like you could never be good enough. You can never do enough. Keep doing more, 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 more for God, which of course meant for the church, uh, for free because they didn't pay anyone. Like the clergy wasn't paid. No one was paid. Those people who knock on the doors, not paid. There's n- no pay involved for any of that. 
Uh, so it was an in- endless hamster wheel. You were at the church three times a week. You were supposed to put in so many hours a month in the preaching work. Even when you were on vacation, you were supposed to still try to preach to people. Like there was never a time when you could just rest and relax and chill. Well, that is the fiat system, right? When everything in the bank is constantly wasting away through endless inflation, ridiculous taxation, what choice do you have but to keep running on that wheel until you die? Like you're not, most people are not going to ever be able to afford to retire. It, that used to be a standard thing in the US. Like you would get a job, say at a car manufacturer, and it was understood. You graduate high school, you go get your job, which that alone is bad. But let's just say you, you got out of school, you went to work at the factory, you knew you were going to retire there. You were, you had a pension waiting for you. You were going to be fine until you die. Well, that stopped in the late seventies. Early 80s. Gee, I wonder why. What time you know, that <laughs> is that that yeah. connected? And so it's an endless hamster wheel because if you reach the point where if you work hard enough, you can get off that wheel and retire, who's going to be the wage slaves of the big corporations? Who's going to go and do all the grunt work they need you to do? Like they're going to lose a significant number of people and then they're going to have to compete for them through benefits and pay, which they do not want to do. So the fiat system supports those industries by keeping people on that endless wage slave hamster wheel in much the same way as the cult did. Plus, being exhausted and tired and overworked like that, when you're that mentally drained, if you get home from your labor job and you're working two of them but to make ends meet, how much mental capacity do you have to study economics? Especially given the fact that public school did not teach you how to understand any of that to begin with. So you're starting from zero to get and understand what's being done to you and do something about it. You're too busy trying to be able to make enough money to eat and pay the mortgage. So that constant hamster wheel also keeps people from questioning, just like it did in the cult. It's not different in that regard. And that leads to all kinds of health problems. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that America has a ridiculous obesity problem. Why is that? Well, it's because the junk food. Why do people eat junk food? Well, because they need it fast. Well, why do they need food fast? Because they have to work 40, 60, however many hours a week just to make ends meet. And they don't have time to make home-cooked meals from fresh ingredients that are more expensive also. And to spend hours doing that like they used to. Now, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad to always have you know someone at home with the kids or whatever. People make that decision for themselves. But the fact is, in the past, there was someone at home whose primary responsibility was to do those things. And so the food that the family was eating was healthier. And the ingredients that they bought were healthier because they were cheaper because there was no fiat in the past. Now, I'm very uh, socially liberal, so I have no issues with the way people want to live their lives. Like, and in that way, I'm libertarian. Leave people alone. Let them do what they want. I don't care. But I can look at the structure of the family in the past and the benefit it gave to the family. And the stronger sovereignty, to use the word you were used, Knut, it gave to the individuals in the family than what we have now. It was definitely superior. So yeah, those are the four major ways that I see the cult of fiat is very similar in behavior and coercion 
to the cult that I came out of. And thus we have people who are overweight, out of shape, popping pills, also from big pharma. So you go back to the doctor who's paid by big pharma and who has to listen to big pharma or lose his license to give you more pills to keep you on that hamster wheel. So you're never really healthy. My opinion is just like with food, if I can't understand the label, I'm not putting that in my body. I think people would be do well to think of crypto that way. If someone can't give you a clear, understandable, simple explanation of what this token is for and why it's beneficial, it's bad for your financial health. Bitcoin is simple. It is obvious. It is clear. And that's why people should look at Bitcoin over everything else. Beautiful, beautifully put. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. To, to add a, one little thing to the, the theory about why America is obese, I have a personal theory that the uh, infrastructure, like building all the cities around cars instead of, you know, like, like in the cities in Europe, you have to walk everywhere, or at least you did. Uh, back when now everything is in malls outside the town. So we're getting it the same problems here too. But I think that contributes a, a lot to why the obesity uh, epidemic started at least. So of course, it's the young foods as well, but also that, that we're, you, you know, driving around in cars instead of walking. It, it, Homo sapiens used to like wander the earth. That's what we did. We wandered from continent to continent. We're supposed to walk. Uh, so, and who built the roads? Well, it certainly wasn't the libertarians. It was the state, right? That's what the, that's what they take most pride in. So yeah, Luke, any more questions for, for Jonathan? No, the only, uh, the only follow up to that, that maybe the, the, if I were being cheeky about it, I would say, when's the book coming out, but I'll, I'll rephrase <laughs> that to say, uh, can you tell us about the things you're working on in the Bitcoin space these days? And oh, yeah. The book is of fun. course. Of course. Where can we find yeah. you? And so on? Yeah. Well, I have a sub stack and I'll send the links to you guys. Uh, and it's called Regarding Bitcoin. So it's just my name.substack.com, Jonathan Leger, Lege. And I have a YouTube channel, uh, which is also called Regarding Bitcoin, which now that YouTube lets you just put an at username, it's much easier. So it's youtube.com slash at Regarding Bitcoin. And where I put those articles into video form uh, for people who prefer to consume through video than through, through reading. So that's what I'm working on there. And I'm happy to be working with you guys with Consensus and I know we have some projects coming up that I'll, I'm going to be pitching in on. I'm happy about that. So I'm just looking for stuff uh, to do. I recently created a, uh, a video for the Orange Pill app guy, Mateo. So anyone who needs anything in the Bitcoin space done, like I'm happy to help out as time allows. Because I do believe that we all need to be uh, open and pushing this. We need to get people and educate people about Bitcoin and sound money and why it matters to wake them up or help wake them up from the cult of fiat. As for the book, I do plan on writing a book called The Cult of Fiat, hopefully this year. We'll see what, what comes of that, but I would love to do that. I have a lot more I'd like to say on the topic, so we'll see. Well, I'll be here uh, encouraging you until it comes out. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking forward to all of that and great to have you on board with Consensus and Orange Phil Uh yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah, with that, I think uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Jonathan. Uh, great to get you a little bit more introduced into the Bitcoin community as well. Let's uh, pop those Twitter follower numbers up a little bit and uh, get your videos in front of some more people and uh, appreciate everything that you're signing up to do and uh, helping out with. And well, this has been a great conversation. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I've been wanting to talk to both of y'all, especially Canoe, because Luke and I had a long conversation already for a while. And yeah, I'm on Twitter and I'm on uh, Noster, but Noster is weird. You can't search like you can on on Twitter, but it's been great. And I it really will be better it. over time, I'm sure. But, oh yeah, I'm yeah. I'm building a, 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 a built a search engine for Noster uh, nice. at Nostrum.pro, so you can do a full text search and find people that are Bitcoiners and stuff. So. Nice. I think there's only Bitcoiners on there anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's, it looks that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, great chats. I'd uh, love to have you here uh, on air again in like a year or so, maybe. And Absolutely. Do a follow-up. We have many guests. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd just like to end on a note, Luke. Uh, sure. someone, someone asked uh, the, the, the AI GPT-3 about the concept of infinity divided by 21 million. You want to know what it replied? Let's go. If the concept of infinity divided by 21 million is applied to the 21 million Bitcoin, it would mean that the maximum potential of the Bitcoins is infinite as they consist of all 21 million possible Bitcoin units. This would suggest that the potential of Bitcoin is larger than any individual unit of Bitcoin as its potential is potentially unlimited. Thanks, AI. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it knows duh, the thing you're talking duh, duh. <laughs> Yeah. It uses the word potential uh, a bit too much. I don't think it has Grammarly. <laughs> no, what? Someone needs to put uh, plug chat GPT into Grammarly for sure. I know that people are really into GPT-3 and that's cool. And I've actually written code around it. And I have like a, a Chrome plugin I designed that uses it. It's great for summarization. It's wonderful for fiction, but you have to be really careful what you believe when you try to use it like a search engine for answers because it's doing its best off of the data set that it has, the model that it has yeah. to give you an answer, but it does bullshit when it doesn't know. And so it would just throw stuff at you that it thinks statistically, yeah. well, maybe this will yeah, work. Yeah. Let me just tell you that. People yeah. need to be careful about taking its answers as any form of gospel. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it doesn't know the difference between bullshit and non-bullshit. It, it does not. It does not. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw a really funny thread where someone was trying to convince the chat to uh, to admit that the falcon isn't the fastest undersea mammal. And it was it was it was just convinced about it, and it and it, it people have a way of talking to this thing to kind of make it understand the logic, and then actually get to the right answer. And it got yeah. all the way to the end, and then re-asked the question, no, no. and it said the fastest thing was still some falcon or something. No, the falcon, <laughs> the falcon is the successor to Captain America. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I think all on right. that note. <laughs> Yeah, we should close this out, though. We've been trying right, to for right. what? Yeah. All right. Yeah, been been Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Sure. It's nice knowing you, and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Footprint Show. That's it for us. Take care.